0: Egypt's net international reserves fall to 35.5 billion US dollars while remittance flows to low and income middle countries are expected to increase to 565 billion dollars but we also look at the role of agriculture in the African continental free trade area and what hurdles need to be fixed for the sector's true potential to be realized good morning Africa and welcome aboard your pulse on everything business in Africa I am Ruth Dong for more, follow us on Twitter at the K Financial, and you can find me at Withadong. The African Continental free trade area agreement will create the largest single market globally in terms of number of countries and people. The agreement creates a single African market of more than a billion consumers and a combined GDP of 2.5 trillion US dollars. It aims to promote agricultural transformation and growth in Africa and contribute to food security, as well as improve competitiveness through regional agriculture value chains development and incentivize critical investments in production and marketing infrastructure. But all of these envisioned gains face a number of barriers that need to be addressed before countries and entrepreneurs can harness the gains under the Africa continental free trade area Agreement. Olawa labor team Opeemi, the founder and chief executive of JR Farms, elaborates on the challenges that need urgent redress.
1: So, for example, now we have the free trade and uh, we, need, we need to trade with, with each other as a continent. You know, you have this agro-commodity in Rwanda, you want to take to Uganda. You have this one in Uganda, you want to take to Zambia. But it's not really easy to move around in Africa. So I think the first thing we have to do is to invest in infrastructure to connect each other. You see what I'm saying? Uh, that is a major challenge for agrib development on the continent. Uh, it is easier for you to get a commodity from, from Nigeria, for example, to Europe, than it is for you to get from Nigeria to Liberia. And they are in West Africa. For example, I travel to Liberia sometimes and I left Lagos uh, 10 hours in the morning and go to Liberia at 7 p.m. in the evening. Uh, if you are flying from Lagos to London, it takes you six hours. So you even get to London before I get to Liberia. So we need to invest in connectivity in Africa. I think infrastructures like roads, connecting rural communities, connecting cities to rural communities, connecting nations to nations is very important. Also, I think we need to invest in open borders. Uh, right now, what you see in Africa is there are visa embargoes. Their permit embargoes for movement of goods, for transactions, et cetera, related to agriculture, you know, and other other sectors also. All these visa embargoes need to be removed because if we really want to grow the continent and we really want to develop the continent on the agribusiness line. And of course, agriculture is two-thirds of the world arable land is in Africa. So agriculture is the main thing in Africa. So if we really want to develop, we have to have open borders. Why do I need a visa to go to DRC, for example? Why does a Rwanda need a visa to go to Senegal? You know, it doesn't make sense. (laughs) It doesn't make sense. So, uh, which means uh, we are only hindering trade, we are only development along that line. So investment in infrastructure, open borders, also financing. Financing is really key. What we have seen is that agriculture needs patient funding. Uh, But most banks, most financial institutions in Africa uh, they're they, they, they not going to give you patient funding. They, they want to give you the loan and they want you to pay back in one year. Agriculture doesn't work that way. So we need, financing is a major challenge, you know, uh, and we need a lot of patient funding. So I think government uh, development partners need to develop uh, uh, patient funding that will be given to agricultural companies. Um, one thing we have to realize is that agriculture is one of the major sectors that can create a lot of jobs. I'll give an example. Now you, 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 you build a factory, an agricultural factory, but you have to go back to the farm to get raw material. So you create a job for the farmers. And now to get your raw material from the farm to the, to the factory, you need logistics. Then you create a job for the guys who are going to be in the logistic value chain. And then when you get your product to the factory, you have your workers in the factory who are going to process and work on this thing. And then you need the marketers. You create a job for the marketers before it gets to the, it gets to the end user. So you see that a single agribusiness can create a lot of direct and indirect jobs if it gets the proper investment. So I think it's quite important because, uh, yeah, funding can be a challenge. Uh, and I think patient funding needs to be developed for agriculture in Africa.
0: That was Olawale Le Rotimi Opeimi, the founder and chief executive officer of JR Farms. A quick review of the other stories making it into the podcast. Remittance flows to low- and middle-income countries expected to increase by 2.2% to $565 billion in 2022. This is according to a projection by the World Bank. Kenya is ranked third among the biggest recipients in sub-Saharan Africa after Nigeria and Ghana that take the two top sports. According to the World Bank, the projected growth in this year comes with anticipated recovery in major host economies such as Saudi Arabia, the United States and United Arab Emirates. The main drivers for the steady flow, according to the World Bank, include Fiscal stimulus that has resulted in better-than-expected economic conditions in host countries. There is also a shift in flows from cash to digital and from informal to formal channels and cyclical movements in oil prices and currency exchange rates. Digitization remains a key driver for growth of remittance services, according to global payments firm WorldRemit, which has partnered with local banks allowing direct sending of money to accounts. Egypt's net international reserves dropped for the second time this year after what the central bank said was an external debt repayment of about $2 billion. Net reserves fell to $35.5 billion at the end of May from $37.1 billion a month earlier. This is according to the central bank. The stockpile is down nearly $5.5 billion since the end of last year after also declining in March. Among other obligations, Egypt last month paid the coupon on its sovereign euro bonds as well as the principal and interest on debt owed to the International Monetary Fund. The remaining holdings are within adequacy measures and cover around five months of merchandise imports. The country's reserves are also increasingly in focus, with the Moody's Investors Services last month warning of a significant narrowing in the foreign exchange reserve buffer to meet upcoming external debt service payments. A favorite destination among overseas portfolio investors in recent years, Egypt has seen $20 billion foreign outflows from its local debt market this year, while Russia's invasion of its neighbor tempered global appetite for riskier assets. Ethiopia's Central Bank has told Ethiopians not to engage in illegal transactions in digital currencies. The National Bank of Ethiopia said digital currencies like cryptocurrencies and bitcoins have not been recognized by the National Bank of Ethiopia as a transactional and payment method. It, it warns that digital currencies are being used to conduct informal financial transactions and money laundering schemes in Ethiopia. The NBE, the National Bank of Ethiopia, called on the public to refrain from trading in cryptocurrencies and to report to authorities when they see such illegal transactions. Now, the Stanbik Bank Kenya PMI fell to 48.2 in May of 2022 from 49.5 in the previous month, pointing to the second consecutive month of contraction in the country's private sector and at a faster pace. Output and new orders fell farther, mainly due to inflationary pressures, which impacted both operating costs and customer demand. As a result, employment continued to decline more positively. Export sales expanded at a solid pace, while backlogs of work decreased. On the price front, the rate of input cost inflation was unchanged from April's near-record high, attributed to rising fuel prices, input shortages, and exchange rate weakness. Output charge inflation remained historically sharp, despite slowing to a three-month low. Finally, business confidence dropped to a record low for the third straight month in May, amid increased uncertainty over supply chains, inflation, and geopolitical tensions. And a quick look at the markets. Oil futures jumped, with the Brent rising above $120 per barrel after Saudi Arabia hiked prices for its crude sales in July, signaling tight supply, even after OPEC Plus agreed to accelerate output increases over the next two months. Brent crude was up 0.8% at 120.63% us dollars a barrel after touching an intraday high of 121.95 us dollars extending a 1.8 percent gain from friday the price hike came despite a decision last week by the organization of petroleum exporting companies and allies called the pec plus to increase output in july and august by six hundred and forty-eight thousand barrels per day or 50 percent more than previously planned Thank you for always waking up with us. Good morning, Africa is a product of the K Financial. If you have any suggestions or you just want to check out more stories, visit our website. That is thekfinancial.com. And don't forget to subscribe. You can also find us on all social media platforms at the K Financial, and you can find me at Rosadon.